Welcome to Books and Nachos, a podcast for those of us who find excitement in the pages of a good book. At booksandnachos.com, you can find over 100 reviews, from fiction to nonfiction, graphic novels, and more. There's also links to our Facebook and Twitter pages, and information about our Podbean crowdfunding campaign. At booksandnachos.com, we're here to find you something great to read. Hello, Books and Nachos listeners. Welcome back to the final main installment of our Harry Potter book retrospective. We're looking at Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. A warning, there will be deep spoilers for this book. And as we get into it, I'm Arnie, your co-host, and with me is... Stuart. And this is Brock. And once again, I remember the hype for this book coming out... The ultimate story, right? She'd promised to wrap it up in book seven. So many teases saying that she had like the last page written well before this book and she'd put it in a safety deposit box so that nobody (laughs) could find it. And she'd visit that safety deposit box while writing books four, five, six so that she could always remember what her end destination was. What was that page going to be? I pre-ordered this one. I think it's the first Harry Potter book I pre-ordered to get on delivery day and told my wife, hey, I'm just going to be busy. I'm going to be reading Harry Potter all weekend and got through the book in about three days. We pre-ordered this as well. And as I mentioned last time, I said to my wife, you read book six first. I will read, read book five. And that's great. This time, I didn't want to wait. She didn't want to wait. So we pre-ordered two copies, both of which are still upstairs in our bookshelf right now. And we pre-ordered it, got there at 10 o'clock. We did not get there at midnight. We do live in Chicago, and that's just not safe. So we went there in the morning, picked up the books, got some Starbucks, sat down on the couch in the chair, and we read the book all day. And we both finished it by bedtime. And so we never have done that since. We've never sat there and read all day together. (laughs) I have to admit, when we talked last week and you were like, you were rereading the book before so your wife could get the new one, all that was going through my head during recording is, why didn't you buy two copies? You seem like the kind of person who would have bought two copies. So I'm glad to hear with book seven, (laughs) you did that. Yeah, it's not like we could sell book seven because there's, what, eight million copies sold the first day? Every, there's plenty of copies of this thing out there. And much like the other six books in the series, these books are falling apart. The binding is falling apart now because of rereading over the years, and just because of age. And so eventually one day I'm going to have to buy another copy of Deathly Hallows, although probably just the one, not two copies. You know, I'm falling apart due to age too, but Marjorie can't buy another copy of Arnie. So at least you have that going for your book. <laughs> Question, because I remember the hype, but I wasn't reading the books. What was the response? All the world is like waiting to get these answers. They got them. Happy? Parades in the street? Fury? How dare they? I I don't remember hearing any response. I didn't have anything spoiled for me. I didn't know what was going to happen in this book because I've never heard anyone tell me what they thought. As far as I remember, it is overall, it was good. If you go on like Goodreads right now, and there's like three million reviews of this particular title, right? And God knows how many people are on Goodreads, but if there's 3.5 million reviewers on there, the majority of those uh, give it five stars. Anyone I've ever talked to about this book likes it. 
Most of us are very sad with the Snape thing. The ending, most of us predicted part of it. No one got it all correct as far as I know. Of course, there's someone out there who's going to say, the same person who said, I figured out the sixth sense in the first scene is going to say, I figured out the end of Harry Potter 7. So overall, Stuart, I remember it being positive for the most part. Most fans were very satisfied with how everything wrapped up. But no one really expected the treasure hunt that everyone read. What we're talking about is the way it all concluded at the end. And at this point, I was working with several people who were Harry Potter fans my age. And it was a chance for me to get to talk to somebody about the books, which I'd never had with any of the prior ones. And we were sharing anticipation for the book, but I felt like I was anticipating it less than they were. Like, I was excited, but this was an obsession for them. It was to them what the opening of Revenge of the Sith was for me. And then... When the book came out, I was talking to them as they read it. They read it slower than I did. My memory is they loved it, and I was like, yeah, it was okay. Yeah, I'm surprised to hear five stars. I'm just going to put it out there. I was disappointed. I don't know how anyone could not be disappointed with the way this story gets plotted and told. And I'll just say it that way. I'm not going to say how it resolves her characters. Are there good moments in this book? Absolutely. But the plotting in this book is, for me, excruciating. I don't know if it's plotting or plotting. (laughs) Yeah, it's both, with a D and T. So Arnie and I were talking in the middle of the week or something, and I told him, I've got through the slog portion. And he's like, well, I must be in the slog now. And when I was talking to my daughter, I said, um... Ron came back, and she's like, oh, good, you got through Godric's Hollow. I'm like, yes, I got through the slog. So... She and I have both read this book numerous times, and Arnie and I seem to agree as well. There is a definite portion of this book which is like, get on with it already, please. And then after that, for me, it takes off like a bullet and doesn't stop. The problem is this is, what, 700 pages? Yeah. And it's about 300 pages of get on with it. Not only that, but again, what the last book set up was the idea that we're going to go find Horcruxes. Everything is about just paying attention to where Voldemort broke up the parts of himself. That was going to be the way that Harry defeated him. And then we get thrown this left turn where suddenly there are Deathly Hallows, which are not Deathly Hollows. I assumed it was like a little forest or something, like Sleepy Hollow. (laughs) But there's more magic things. And then we have Dumbledore bequeathing his magic. Like, there were just too many items to keep track of for 750 pages. It did feel like an inventory quest at this point. I did feel like a video game where you have your four missions to infiltrate four locations and get four Horcry, and then you also have other things you need to pick up along the way to aid in the quests. Yeah, so let, can we just break down the Horcruxes? Just okay. help me like just wrap my mind around what's happened here. So there was a ring... Where did the ring come from? It was an heirloom of Tom Riddle's family. And when did it come into the saga? They popped the ring in in book six. That's how Dumbledore's hand got ruined. Okay. And in all those flashbacks, there was talk of the ring too. The ring proved the riddles were the direct descendants of Salazar Slytherin. Which we already suspected anyway, because Tom Riddle was able to open the Chamber of Secrets. Okay, yeah. That's the one I remember, is book two was all devoted to the diary. And okay, I got that one conceptually. Wouldn't it have just been easier to have every book be a horcrux? Was that a plan at one point? 
No, it was not like the Infinity Stones where they spread them out over different movies. The Horcrux idea clearly was... I, she thought of the idea in book two, and as we learn at the end of this book, that Harry was an unintentional Horcrux. By the way, I thought he was the last Horcrux. I didn't realize there was going to be an extra Horcrux, so he's eight instead of seven, but we'll get there, I guess, in a minute. Seven instead of six, because Voldemort was seven. His soul was split into seven pieces, right? So there's seven Horcruxes, but eight pieces of his soul, correct? But I want to amend something you said, Brock. You said she came up with this idea in book two. I think so. And I say no. I say she came up with this idea in book six and retconned it so that book two was one of them. She insists that she plotted everything out, and I remember I told you there were parts of book two that were put in book six, and it was all about the splitting of the soul, and he he wants to avoid death and does all these things to avoid dying and living forever, his fear of death. Yeah, but then read this book, and then you know that she didn't have this all worked out, because if you had it all worked out, you wouldn't throw all of this here at the end. You would have meted this out so that it wasn't the nightmarish, what's going on litany of the vices and magical talismans that it is i needed space i needed time to process and this thing yeah where we left with book six was locket there was a fake locket and rab had the real locket so i figured that would be the kickoff and then we'd have to you know go through what three left but no there's so much more too much to keep track of in this book. And honestly, it could have been twice as long and it still felt overstuffed. I feel almost like she did a first draft and published it. Yes, agreed. Because there's so much going on that's so scattered. Yes. There's quests that begin and then are literally, the characters just go, no, I'm not going to do that anymore. Right. And there's hundreds of pages where nothing happens. And if you were doing a rewrite of this, you'd look at this, you'd tighten it up. Agreed. You'd realize what is the central thrust? How is the pacing killed? Because when I came back to this book, I think I said on a previous podcast, my memory of this book was one thing, just one thing, camping. That's all I could remember is they camped and that they camped some more and Gosh darn it, if they don't. I My memory was spot on. I think if you ask me in three years what I remember, camping is too much camping. Once we get into it, yes. I thought that there would be like a logical flow of like how will they find them, but it's pretty clear that Harry has no clue, and I actually don't know how they all find them. It just feels like a lot of happenstance, and first draft is what I was thinking for throughout all of it. I'm like, this does not feel like something you publish. To just finish it out, the rest of the Horcruxes they have to find would be the Cup of Hufflepuff that is in Bellus Trix Lestrange's vault, the Diadem of Ravenclaw, which is still at Hogwarts in the Room of Requirement, and the Gini the Snake that is next to Voldemort, which sets up the fact that it can be in a human living being, a Horcrux. So they have in this book to get the Locket, the Cup, the Tiara, the snake, and Harry. So five Horcruxes, one of which is a twist at the end. Correct. Now, again, I was convinced that he was the last Horcrux because of all the clues that are there. He has a piece of Voldemort, blah, blah, blah. And thankfully, they go there. But I, the diadem really kind of threw me off because Dumbledore does explain in book six that he suspects Nagini is and the Hufflepuff cup as well. So the work you guys are looking for this book to discover, I kind of got the impression in book six that Dumbledore did most of the 
the tracking stuff down. He just didn't tell Harry where it was. He just suggested that these are them. There's one more I don't know about, but he didn't get a chance to get to the rest of them. That's why I'm not as bothered as you guys are with how she didn't pace out a horcrux in each book. Yeah, help me out with this. Because I know, again, lots of motive gets set at the end and at a certain point, brain shutting down. <laughs> But yes, you point out Dumbledore already knows where all these things are and has all the Deathly Hallows, right? At some point? No, he does not have all the Deathly Hallows. He never, well, I guess technically speaking he did, but he never had them at the same time. Harry had the invisibility cloak, but he did have the Elder Wand and he did destroy the Resurrection Stone Horcrux, but the Resurrection Stone remained. So he had two of the three at any given time, he never had all three at the same time. But he wanted all three at the same time. We learned that he did, yes, but he had already given the cloak back to to Harry. <laughs> like, I'm trying to collect something, but I can't, like, hold on to it. I keep giving them away. I, I just don't understand. I think we learn in this book, and if it's me helping the book, so be it, but Dumbledore admits that his obsession with something like this was his one of his flaws, and he was trying to not do that anymore. So he already has the Elder Wand... He was investigating the invisibility cloak because he talked to James about it, etc. But they had no reason to think that Voldemort was coming back when he gave the invisibility cloak back to Harry. So therefore, it seemed like no harm to give the cloak back to Harry at that time. That's how I am inferencing it. Get over my obsession. Give the kid back something from his father. Except he tells Snape, we know Voldemort's coming back. Like right after James and Lily Potter are killed. Right. He's talking to Snape and is like... Voldemort's going to come back. So you can't say he didn't know Voldemort was going to come back when he gave Harry the cloak. How about this? How about he didn't know he was going to come back so soon? But yes, I understand your point. And how about like, oh, I gave you a cloak, Harry, but I really need it because I'll be able to defeat death. <laughs> this does not feel like the story that we started out at. When I think about those distant memories of book one and who those characters were and where we are now, it does not feel like she had it all down. Right. And I say the same thing about George Lucas, who insists he had this grand plan. And if you watch the, the prequels, especially or and Return of the Jedi, you can clearly see that he had a general idea of where he wanted to go, but he did not have all the details laid out. And it's entirely possible the same thing here. Yeah, it feels like she realized she has to do it all in this book. And it's what, what a thing to try and do right at the end. Yeah, I think this is the great lie. I mean, the making of Star Wars books exposed Lucas was lying when he said he had it all planned out. Yep. I remember hearing David Lynch had all of Twin Peaks planned out way back when he was doing that the first time. So, you know, I think people like to have that kind of faith in the creator that they know where it's going. Lost, right? Lost did figure it out three seasons in. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but I think that sometimes the end result betrays that statement or at least maybe they thought they had it all planned out and as they were writing things changed along the way there's nothing wrong with realizing your original idea wasn't good enough but you need to come up with something better no there's nothing wrong with that there's something wrong with this book though and it's plotting like it's impossible to understand here for me at the end i really was just throwing my hands up many many times in the chapters about what are we trying to do why are they going there what are we looking for i thought we wanted to kill voldemort and suddenly we're distracted by stones and swords and cloaks and i oof. for me why I don't mind that they go after the Deathly Hallows on top of the Horcruxes is I think it's an additional power that they need to help them not only destroy the Horcruxes, but understand exactly what, thematically speaking, is 
what the mission is to get over death and you can't escape death. What is the theme? I'd love for you to hone in on that. It seems like you have a good grip on what she's trying to say in this story. I do not. What do you think the theme is of this novel, Death? Yeah, I think Harry's been dealing with death throughout the entire series, one after another. He's, he never had a chance to know his parents. And then the people he does know, one after another, that he cares about, die. And then he comes to a realization eventually in this book, too, that he has to die himself. It's just surrounded by death nonstop, or the threat of death nonstop. You can't run from death. You can't escape death. Voldemort's biggest fear is dying. So he splits himself up so he can never die. And the Death Eaters are constantly fearing death from Voldemort. But the good guys here at the end all realize that, no, we're going to stand and fight because we can't live this way. And Harry comes to grips with that, that I am not going to be afraid of death. I'm going to embrace it the best I can and best how I understand it. But he doesn't die. That thing would be resonant if he actually did die in this story. But of course, they have like some magical realm where he's going to go and meet Dumbledore, who's not dead or maybe kind of dead or like nobody ever dies because there's uh, afterlife. You see, here's my thinking on this to parse it up is coming into this, it feels to me that Rowling has a few things she wants to do. And where Stuart, I think yours and my mind is focused is we want one thing. We want the showdown between Harry and Voldemort. We want the epic conclusion to this. But she also wants to bring in, hey, Harry realizes early in this book that he spent time with Dumbledore but never got to know him. And she spent six books with Dumbledore there. And you were saying, Stuart, he wasn't a very cool character and things. So she wants to suddenly interject this entire backstory of Dumbledore. And the Deathly Hallows are really Dumbledore's mission not Harry's mission. And Harry kind of goes down that Quixotic path for a while and then realizes, wait, no, my mission is Horcruxes. In addition to trying to say, oh, I really should have told you something about Dumbledore before now, so let me do that because it's my last <laughs> chance. And doing the final quest between Harry and Voldemort. It seems like she's also trying to put in here those themes of which Brock spoke, but she's doing it inorganically. It feels like there's a lot of time in Harry's head with Harry's thoughts and dealing with little problems that take away from the overall pacing of this. And what I kept thinking was comparing this to Lord of the Rings. At the beginning of Lord of the Rings, Frodo and the Fellowship know we're in point A, we gotta go get to Mount Doom point B and throw this in the lava, and that is our mission. And here, one thing I kind of like is Harry, Ron, and Hermione are there like, we have no idea what we're looking for. We have no idea where we're going. I enjoy that portion of the book of what would you do if you were in this case? I mean, how would you even begin such a thing? But then the fact that so much time is spent with them not knowing what to do is not dramatically gratifying, even if it does make a little logical sense. Yeah, it does make sense that these kids are floundering. It just thinks they floundered too long. And when they go to Godric's Hollow and they run into Nagini in disguise, and that was a dead end. And one dead end after another, they keep having to go on the run or this and that. And they get to Malfoy Manor because they get captured and they haven't made much progress. All of these things, I think those experiences at the beginning help them come together at the end. But I completely agree with you. Getting there is challenging. 
Dumbledore knows where they're supposed to go, right? Hence why he bequeaths what he does. Like, those things are to guide them to the places. They don't figure it out. I, I don't know. I can't figure out why we need the snitch, the fairy tale, and the deluminator. Okay. So, the deluminator is ex- tough to figure out, but it basically lights Ron's way home back to them. So, because he knew that Ron was going to go astray and he needed. He did? Because I didn't understand that. Why did Ron do that? Yeah, I don't know why he did that, but yes, Dumbledore knew he'd do something stupid. Right. <laughs> Pretty much exactly what that is. Hermione, with the tales of Beetle and Bard, he figured that she would figure out the Deathly Hallows, and the snitch inside had the Resurrection Stone. But why are these things so obtuse? It's because in the book here, the Ministry of Magic held on to these items for, what, a month to try to figure out why these items are being given to these three kids, and they couldn't figure it out either. And so the idea is to make it so obtuse that the kids will eventually figure it out, but the Ministry can't. Otherwise, if he left them the Resurrection Stone, the Resurrection Stone is not going to go to Harry. And if he said, um, looking for the Deathly Hallows, so here's a map to where all the, Death- where all the Hallows might be, and here's a map to where the Horcruxes are, the Ministry of Magic is going to take that and not give it to the kid. That's why it's so obtuse. But he's giving them clues to find the Deathly Hallows when, to go back to what Stuart said, they don't need the Deathly Hallows, they need Horcruxes. Right, and what gets me about, say, the Elder Wand is Dumbledore uses the Elder Wand against Voldemort in Book 5 and still doesn't defeat Voldemort. Voldemort runs away before he can get defeated. If the Elder Wand's the most powerful wand, and Dumbledore is the rightful owner of that wand, what happened there? So I don't never understood that. Let's talk Dumbledore. Yeah, Arnie brought up the fact that this is really maybe his story. More than Harry Potter, this is Albus Dumbledore and the neglected sister. Like, <laughs> what we get this idea, Rita Skeeter has a little comeback where she writes the tell-all. And even though there are some nice people writing things about Dumbledore dying, people really like the gossip and the juice that he had this sister who he neglected, who went mad, who maybe he shot with a wand. Help me out. Why? Why are we doing this? Why are we telling a a story of... Dumbledore not being the on a pedestal great man that he was, but he's a flawed human being. Yeah. Why Why? Why are we doing that? Well, don't you think Harry's a flawed human being? Don't you think they, they got the great lengths to show us that pretty much every character in this series is a flawed person and not just one thing? Mm, interesting you should say that, because my reaction to this is uh, J.K. Rowling is a single mother, right? All the man characters are very flawed. They're, like, we'll have, like, the werewolf guy even say, I'm going to abandon my wife and kids. <laughs> and there's all of this agenda about men leave, they're terrible, they're not as good as they pretend to be. But the mother's love is not in any way gray. She is all protective, and Lily is all fantastic. And it really does feel like at the end here, Rowling is trying to justify her own life. Oh, even Malfoy's mother fits that bill. Yeah, um, Rowling has wrote the series in response and to help her get through the death of her mother. That is documented. Well, I didn't get any death of the mother. I get it. It's like, I'm the one that's raising, and maybe it's true. I'm not saying it's not, but it really does come across of like, it's women that raise children and men screw it up. Well, I don't know how to respond to that. Yeah, I didn't expect that at all, but okay. Well, I mean, let's look at every father figure and how much she spends on the nuances of their failures, but we never, ever explore Lily's failure. She's, in fact, the reason why Harry is alive. It's just a little self-serving is all I'm saying. Like, in the end, I feel like we lost the plots on a whole lot of characters, but Rowling's going to come back to try and make herself look good. 
And this woman is the reason Snape did everything for the past six books, right? So yeah. the same woman who protected Harry and, and saved, he's the made the boy that lived, also affected this other man's life to the point where he sacrifices his life nonstop to deceive the most evil wizard in the world to ideally defeat him. The one thing I guessed, I had all kinds of predictions about how this would wrap up. Ron's dead. Nope, didn't happen. But I did know that there was no way they were going to end on Snape as evil. Like, I just knew that. That felt like she wanted to tell the story about things are more complex and people that look villainous aren't. The way that that wrapped up seemed right. I do feel like that story worked. Okay, and did you see it coming? Because most of us did not see it coming that he was that in love with Lily the entire time and all that infatuation and all that kind of stuff. And then, of course, the way he talks to Harry the whole time, you could see his his anger for not being the father and things like that. You can really go back and, and really put a lot into it if you want to. Um, and then the heartbreaking thing at the end is look at me so we can see her eyes again, which is, it to me, is heartbreaking. I don't care for the whole device of, I'll give you an hour, and then Harry runs to the pensive and watches all the memories. So I don't like that as a plot device, but I love the chapter of The Prince's Tale that tells basically what Snape did and why Snape did it. I find it extremely heartbreaking and sad. And another part of this book that we haven't talked about yet, but we need to talk about now, is that all the complaints aside, you have a lot of characters' journeys wrapping up. You have Harry finding his, finally getting Virginia. You have Ron and Hermione coming together finally as a couple. You have the twins. One of them has to pay the piper for all the shenanigans they've done for their lives. There's a lot of things that tying up. Unfortunately, some characters have to die in this sort of war, but you have Neville coming into his own. There's a lot of characters here that are resolved and have their journeys end as well as Harry Potter does. And to me, as a Harry Potter fan and who's read this book numerous times and read the series numerous times, each time I read this particular book, I am happier with some of the ways some characters are portrayed here and, and they get their moments and they you see how they've grown and how they progress, not just Harry Potter. I enjoy it. But I can't deny that you guys are correct that the treasure hunt and the camping aspects of this book are certainly take away from a lot of the great stuff here. I see what you're getting at. The problem for me is I was shocked right at the start of the book because she starts it by killing the owl and killing Mad-Eye Moody and Fred or George, I forget which one, loses an ear. George loses the ear, Fred loses his life. Okay. Did Mad-Eye Moody ever do anything? Like, we <laughs> saw a fake one in the fourth book, but I don't ever remember the real one doing anything. We had this conversation on our, at least our Movie 4 podcast, yeah. I know, but, like, now he's dead. Like, I'm supposed to be sad about that? Who cares? I don't care. I think it's great that he's not around. I think that another person who might have a chance to defeat Voldemort is gone. You know, he has a reputation of being an, an aura, right? So they get rid of him early, too. That's how I read that, is that we don't want him helping Harry. We want him out of the picture. We want Scrimgeour out of the picture, so they kill him early. Anyone who could possibly help Harry get this done quicker, faster, efficiently, out of the picture. R.I.P. Dobby. I don't care. But yeah, he's gone too. I don't know. It just, uh, you know what, that elf thing. Like, I really think we talk so much about all of that in the second book. And I thought that we were building to something that would be more of an ensemble. You are telling me that it's there. And I will probably agree with you if I read it closer in more detail, if I soaked up the last 200 pages more, maybe some of these arcs would seem clear, but it just feels like we had a whole lot of characters that didn't stick the landing in the end. It just feels like they either died or got married. I think part of it also is you guys read these extremely fast. 
So you couldn't sit there and enjoy it. You had a we, we we're on a tight schedule on this. So it's possible that that might be part of it. Well, here's the thing I would say. I wasn't enjoying this read because of the way that this book started. That first half of it, I wouldn't have savored the end of it. It was about getting through it. Okay. I'll agree because the first time I read this book, I was devouring it because of anxiousness. So I was reading fast, but I found myself really reading fast to get through some of it and amazed by how much I didn't enjoy it the first time. So after the slog, after Ron comes back to the camping trip, I did not want to put this book down. I've read this book numerous times. I, last time I read it was in 2018 when my daughter was reading it. She asked me, when I get to Deathly Hallows, will you also read it at the same time so we can talk about it? So I said, absolutely. So I reread it then in 2018. And I had the same problem. I was reading it so much faster than she was because I could not put it down after Ron gets back. I just don't know what it is about this book with me, but I just, I had to keep reading and keep reading. And to the point where I was about 200 pages in and I woke up at five in the morning because my cat woke me up and I just went downstairs, made the coffee, and I finished that before I went to work. I read 200 pages or so before I went to work because I couldn't stop. I wanted to keep reading. And I've read this book numerous times. So for me, this second half of this book, I'm more than willing to get through that slog because I love the ending of this book. I love the second half of this book. I like the second half of this book when it finally gets to what I wanted the whole book to be, when they get back on the horcruxes and things, when they finally resolve this whole Dumbledore Grindenwald thing, which I have to think, I mean, this is the whole reason for Fantastic Beasts. Right now, I've been reminded that Grindenwald was mentioned in these first seven books and had a big history of Dumbledore. Now that I know movie two is Grindenwald and movie three is Dumbledore, I have to figure this is is going to get fleshed out in those movies. Well, let's, let's be honest here. The, the reason there's those three movies is money. But the backstory here is the same thing as the prequel trilogy in Star Wars, in my opinion. You kind of know it already, and they're just going to expand it out for you. That's my opinion on that. But we'll talk about those when we watch those movies. But we get more than enough here with Grindenwald and Dumbledore's backstory. And according to Stuart and, and you yourself, maybe too much here. Maybe they should have spread that out more. Maybe they should have made some of that in the other books if it matters so much to the story. Yes. Which I question. Uh, again, uh, w yeah, when we get into the Grindenwald, and I only know that because I've typed the title for the next one in the <laughs> schedule. I'm like, okay, that is something I know will be important at some point. But it didn't feel at any way important here. It felt confusing. Like, the more that they asked us to go into flashbacks of Dumbledore's life, the more I felt angry that, I, that we weren't focusing on what I wanted to spend time on. As a Harry Potter fan, some of the things that I question here are different than what you guys are coming to because you guys haven't read this book before. So, like, for me, why kill Tonks and Lupin? Why make another kid like Harry Potter? Well, because that was Harry Potter's journey, and now we're having another kid having the same issues, right? Maybe that's why they're doing that for. I did wonder. I'm like, you'd think that that would be the opposite of what they'd want to do. You know, I think that the whole point is... Harry was raised without parents, and they didn't sacrifice themselves for their child the way Harry's parents did, so right. it did just feel sad instead of meaningful. 
Right. Maybe they did it because they want their child to grow up in a world that's free of this this evil, and that's certainly something to do. But Harry's parents die for a different reason, and it just made me feel sad that Teddy has no parents and is raised by his grandmother. And those kinds of questions, how on earth can people drink polyjuice potion in a wizarding world and break into a bank? I mean, I, I would think of all the things, you know, they have rules about you can't apparate in and out of a school, things like that. You would think that they would have an alarm bell that polyjuice potion was being used to try to break into a bank. That kind of blows my mind that, they I mean, they were on to them, right? Because they knew the wand was stolen. But it still is weird to me that Polyjuice potion would work. And I, I actually understand the Imperius curse. That makes plenty of sense because you weren't expecting that. It's a, it's a forbidden curse. But little things like polyjuice potion in a bank bother me more than <laughs> a quest. I didn't understand it. I thought they were going in there to get the sword. Like, again, I couldn't keep track of things. I heard that Bellatrix had the sword in the vault, in her own vault. I thought they were getting that, but it turns out it was something else. Like, woo-wee, first read. All I can say is, you're right. You have to read every word. There, You have to read this thing super slow if you want to understand it. It is not built for fleet reading. Like, it's like that chapter 18 in Prisoner of Azkaban. Like, I had to keep going <laughs> back, and it's just not worth it. It just wasn't worth it. Well, I'm disappointed to hear you guys say all these things. I completely understand where you're coming from. I'm just disappointed. I thought that, again, I even though I, I do admit the book has some flaws to it, I would think that at the end when everything comes together and, and, and makes more sense that you guys would be more on board. But were you satisfied with the final confrontation between Voldemort and Harry? Was that a satisfactory ending to you and how that played out? You know, it's hard. Again, like, because we're ending in this way, there's such a disappointing feeling to all of it that I, even though I can recognize that now, like, we're getting to the meat of it, like, enjoyment really wasn't in the cards at this point. And it was just, you know, it's just kind of this aftertaste of, like, this feels rushed. Like, again, it's not like this thing is unfixable. It's just like, yeah, why don't you take six more months and make this, like, readable? And I'll mostly agree with you, Brock. I mean... The worst part of this book is everything until Ron returns, and that's about the midpoint of the book, which does not bode well for the movies we're about to watch, I'll just throw out that <laughs> gauntlet. But I still didn't jibe with the book until Harry finally comes to the realization, I shouldn't be going after Deathly Hallows, I should be going after Horcruxes, and they do start the breaking into the bank at Gringotts and things. It becomes the story that... Rowling should have focused on more, or at least spread out a bit more. You know, I liked the part where they break into the Ministry of Magic, and then I like the break-in of Gringotts till the end. There's just a lot in between those points that your word of slog is perfect. It just feels mm -hmm. this endless page after page after page of nothingness. And that would have been a great time to intersperse perhaps the story of Dumbledore instead of saving so much of it up and having bits of rumor from Reader Skeeter and all of that. It's just, is it too little too late? I'll say that getting there is half the pain, so this book will never be considered greatness by me, no matter how well the ending fit. But I did like the end. I thought that the redemption of Snape actually worked because mm -hmm. I felt like no matter what we said about him, he killed Dumbledore, that's unforgivable, and therefore they found a way, because Dumbledore was already terminally ill, that this was kind of a euthanizing plus a plot in the overall war. So I thought that worked better than I ever thought it could have, and I thought the final battle 
worked fine. Harry faking his own death or living, but Mm -hmm. making everybody think he died and all of that, it all works for me. Also, you know, don't forget the plan also made sure that Voldemort could not use, the plan originally was so Voldemort would not be able to use the Elder Wand, have the power with the Elder Wand, if you remember. Yeah, there was also helping Draco, though. Like, don't let Draco be a murderer. All that kind of stuff, too. So, uh, yeah, I I found the whole Snape thing very satisfying myself, and I like the final battle, and the epilogue, I have a smile on my face from the entire time reading the epilogue, every time. That's the thing she had in the vault. That's the thing she knew she wanted to end on. How, who hooked up with who, and the new generation going to Hogwarts. That's how I understand it. The, the last chapter was already written before this book was written, yes. But when she says the last chapter, maybe she meant the final battle, but I always took it to mean the epilogue. Mm-hmm. That's what I ended up thinking, too, is that if not literally the last page, that epilogue. I'm not sure what that epilogue um, really adds to the story. It does seem like they all lived happily ever after and had kids, but what does that tell me about their characters and their journey? I don't even know if Harry's an Auror or not. You can look that up. And Did did Hermione ever go back to Hogwarts and finish her school? Is she going to remain a dropout just like the other two? All that's been answered by J.K. Rowling but not in the books. Like, it's extra material. And yes, the answer is, I think he does work at the Aura's office. McGonagall does become headmistress of Hogwarts, and Hermione does go back. Does she, does she not settle for a GED? She goes back and gets her, her nudes done. <laughs> I did think that uh, the point was, Arnie, I get your, I get what you're saying, is what what is the note we're ending on? To me, it was that Harry has rectified the fact that uh, he can love both Snape and Dumbledore like that he can in some ways in one child unify House Slytherin and House Gryffindor well it explains to his own son that my I hate his name is Albus Severus I'll put that out there right now Jenny's brother died too why don't name one of these kids Fred for God's sake but I do like that he takes a moment to talk to the kid about the choices because again if nothing else in this series you know the person you become are because of the choices you make right it's it's apparent right here in this book with Snape and Dumbledore's stories we learn about Harry's choices here Ron's choices here the choices you make are the character who you are right look at Draco at the end too he just hit his parents decided to make a different choice, right? So it's wonderful. He he kneels down and talks to his son about that moment that his son has fear about something. And Harry's like, well, okay, so you'd be the best Slytherin there ever was. Or you can tell a sorting hat, you know, I I do have a choice here. And it's wonderful that he he passes that on to his son. That it's just an amazing moment. I adore it. And ignore Hufflepuff and Ravenclaw. (laughs) We'll disown you if you go in those. Screw them. Yeah, you don't need Hufflepuff. Yeah, don't you come home if you're a Hufflepuff, (laughs) is what you're saying. (laughs) It's over. Yeah, my son's a Hufflepuff. Oh, boy. Uh, I like that Harry has a life. 19 years later, he has a family and he's happy, or it seems happy. He and Draco can nod to each other on the platform. Yeah, Draco gets free after all he did. Mm. What did he do, though? There were expectations that he did not live up to. He almost burned everybody to death because he got Crab and Goyle to go into the Room of Requirements. That was because Crab is really bad at the spell, but Harry saved him, Malfoy saved Harry, and they've come to grips. I love that. Yeah, again, I, I think the theme is that Slytherin can be unified. Like, they're not enemies. That's happening now. It is a happily ever after. It is a fairy tale premise, and I don't think that's a bad thing to do for children's fiction. It is, no, in the end, it is a fairy tale. Is it the best of the books? No, I'd say five is and four, but it's a fine note to go out on. It's still better than one or two. 
I do like this book, but I would say five and four and three are preferred, much preferred to me than six and seven and one and two. But I do like how this ends very much. I guess I stand alone. I think this is easily the worst one. Like, it made me mad slamming my fist down on the cover, mad, like, hated this book. Not all the elements of it, but just re the reading experience was unpleasant. I think the mistake for me, like, Arnie, I think you even said this, half the book was school, and then there's a wizard war. And the truth is, like, her ability to move away from the school format was not good. All of that wandering in the woods, she needed to keep it at Hogwarts. I really feel that would have helped this book. Yeah, I don't know exactly how you can keep a war story at a school, but I agree with you that without Quidditch matches and classes and things, she did not know what to do. Yep. I do like that the final battle was at Hogwarts, though. That's exactly where it needs to be. It is. I was thinking about that. I'm like, it makes absolutely no sense for the final battle to be at a school, but dramatically, it has to be at that school. But we're not done with Harry Potter. The novels are over, and I guess there will never be any more, Correct. according to Rowling. But there is one more Harry Potter book to discuss, sort of. It is considered the eighth Harry Potter story. It is the play Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, and it has been published as a script into book form. It's been published a couple of times in script form, and it certainly is considered canon by those in the know, but it is a little bit contentious among the fans, and I'm looking forward to reading that and talking about it with you guys next week. Boy, it must be contentious if you haven't even read it. No, I have not read it. My daughter <laughs> read it after finishing the first seven and said, oh, you don't have to read that. Mm. So I'm like, okay, all right. So I'll, uh, this will be my first time reading this uh, particular story of Harry Potter, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, which we call Cursed Child around here, but apparently it's just cursed. Well, I feel that the curse can't be that bad. This thing looks like a third of the length of the other books. So <laughs> terrific. It, yeah, it's short. I'll do it. So we'll be back with that final Harry Potter book review next week. But thank you for joining us on this. Now, if you want to hear us discuss the movies, The Deathly Hallows, Part 1 and Part 2, and I can't speak for the other gentlemen on this show, but I can say that I haven't even hit the tip of my iceberg of the thoughts on the movies with the discussion of the book. Very different mediums, very different ways of telling the story. So you can find that out by becoming a donor at nowplayingpodcast.com. We call it our sister podcast. It might be considered our parent podcast with movie reviews. And we are reviewing the full Harry Potter series. The Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2 comes out tomorrow. And then we will move on to the Fantastic Beasts films. So you can find all the details of how to support books and nachos and support Now Playing both independent podcasts with no sponsors, no ads. We rely solely on listener support to keep going. Find the details at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. And gentlemen, thank you for joining me for one last trip to Hogwarts. And until next time, remember, support your local bookstore. Thank you for listening to this episode of Books and Nachos. You can also find many more book reviews at our website, booksandnachos.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please help spread the word about our podcast by leaving us a five-star review on Stitcher, Podbean, iTunes, or your podcast store of choice. Books and Nachos is a crowdsourced podcast with no sponsors or ads. You can support our show by pledging to our Podbean campaign at booksandnachos.com support. 
Books and Nachos is a Venganza Media production. Copyright 2022. All rights reserved. And no part of the show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated.